Okay, I am so giddy because I'm with like one of my best friends in Columbus in a hotel room. And you just too long. It's been way too long. Mm-hmm. I know. I I like felt like I was coming back to like the motherland. <laughs> What's your favorite thing about Columbus? Um, not the weather. It's a lot better than other places. I think yeah, but we have the we're in the top ten of the gloomiest cities in the United States. Really? Yep. I don't. I feel like every city says like depressing. they're the, the most depressed <laughs> and they're like proud of it. <laughs> well, I'm very proud of it. Okay. What is the what is your most favorite thing about Columbus? I think we have good food. Columbus does have good food. Yeah. Like good you're very shops. adventurous. Mm-hmm. That's why Columbus is cool. It is. It is cool. Good craft beer. Hi, and welcome to Health by Heather Hirsch a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. Okay, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. I have a feeling I'm going to laugh a lot in this podcast, so you're just going to have to bear with me. So I'm with my good friend, Melissa Gallo, who has been on several of my podcasts before. She's the pelvic floor extraordinaire. And we are going to talk about the vagina. So welcome to episode 27, What's in the Vagina? So explicit podcast. We're going to say the word vagina a lot in this podcast. So Missy, welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been too long. I know. It's been too, too long. So um, since we've last Mm. talked, you have done a lot of work with pelvic floor, physical therapy, Mm -hmm. really thinking about it from the female anatomy. And actually, this whole podcast was Missy's wonderful idea, which was to sort of really break down some of the different pathologies that that happen in the vagina. And we were both joking about how at the Super Bowl, (laughs) there was this like meme. kind of viral meme, yeah, about J-Lo and Shakira. Yeah. Shaking it's their, their... It's not their vaginas that we saw. It's their vulvas. Right. Yes. They're not shaking their vaginas. Mm-mm. They were shaking their vulvas. <laughs> so, so but on a, it, again, it's going to be hard not to laugh. But on a serious note, so um, first kind of just like fill in the listeners, like what's been up with you for the last couple of months? How How is your passion for women's health grown? And Well, Yeah. Since I've been on your podcast, I have started at a new company. I am doing full-on women's health um, and learning a ton. And I just thought this information was super important to bring about to the listeners because it is just such a missed area in women's health. And with you doing menopause and and it's that it's that age group that I'm seeing a lot of these um, diagnoses missed and kind of realizing that as a from a physical therapy standpoint that I can help distinguish someone's pain and if it is a pelvic floor problem or if it is a different problem like a hormone problem or something that I need to refer back to the physician um, or if it's a problem that needs both they need pelvic PT and they also need um, medication to help with the hormone problem so yeah yeah Oh, that's so great. So if before we go any further, I just mm-hmm. want to say Missy works in Columbus. Yes. I have a lot of Columbus listeners. And so where can someone find you if they wanted to? 
They can find me at Fitness Matters. It is a smaller private practice in the Columbus area. So most of Columbus is um, is controlled by the big healthcare systems now, but we're one of the smaller independent physical therapy clinics in Worthington. Um, yeah, it's called Fitness Matters. Awesome. All right. So let's talk about uh, basically like let's talk about the different parts of the lower GU track. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to let you sort of take the mic and walk us through what is the difference between we're going to talk about kind of just to make it like a simple, I guess. But still, this is this is not simple. But we kind of want to talk about, I think, like the difference between our vaginas, the um, the vestibule and the vulva. Yes. All right. So break it down for us. So I found these terms a little confusing at first because they're used interchangeably. And, you know, it's like, well, what, what is, what are these? So in layman's terms, I think it's easy to describe the, you know, the vagina is the layman term for the vagina, obviously. The vulva is, um, when you're looking at the anatomy, it is kind of inclusive of the um, labias. So you have the labia majora and you have the labia minora, which is the two different, um, the bigger and the smaller. Obviously, those are what those terms mean. And then the vestibule is specifically what I wanted to talk a lot about today because it is a area of tissue that we are missing as practitioners. And I've heard it described as kind of just like, um, the passageway into the vagina and that we, we ignore this part of, um, the body. And really, even if you go back to the anatomy books, like Netter, uh, it's not even labeled. Um, so it's like, they didn't even know that the vestibule existed, you know, when they were making these anatomy books. So it is, um, something that people are still ignoring or just don't have enough knowledge about. And you put the speculum in and you just kind of like get tunnel vision into the insides. And we don't look at the tissue, which is surrounding that, which is pretty much the the tissue surrounding um, the urethra and the passageway into the vagina. I just kind of had a thought, like if you, and some people are going to be more open to this idea and have, but if you were to take a vagina, oh, sorry, <laughs> I knew you were saying vagina a lot. If you were going to take a mirror mm-hmm. and actually look at your own vagina mm-hmm. probably what you're seeing what you could actually what you really can see is the vestibule yeah that's actually that's the tissue that kind of that pink that right. tissue that you can that kind pink of see tissue yeah is what we're really referring to i think as the vestibule you actually can't see your you can't really see your vagina no like you couldn't see it with a mirror no nope. right i mean yeah <laughs> so the vulva is just all of that together mm-hmm. um so the vestibule is that actual pink tissue that you're seeing inside of those labias. Um, so yeah, that is that is the definition of those. And then, like I said, the importance of knowing that that tissue is there is just that there's a lot of pathology in that tissue. And we need to be looking at it a little bit closer um, when women are giving us their history and their symptoms and where they have pain, um, they don't know how to describe it. And everyone describes it a little differently. And so if they say, like, I have just this this burning or this tenderness or this, you know, there's so many words that people use. And until you actually are in there looking and do Q-tip testing to see where they're actually talking about, it's very interesting if you you Q-tip test and you're in the vestibule and then you 
And they're like, oh my gosh, yes, that's my pain. And you're like, okay. So now, you know, even if they were using different descriptors, you know exactly where their pain is. So what is a Q-tip test? Okay. A Q-tip test is using a Q-tip to go around different places and basically just give, um, you know, moderate pressure to different points to help determine um, where someone's pain is coming from and then the pathology related to that pain. So you use a Q-tip, you can go around the labia, and then you kind of start on the outside and move your way more medial, move your way in. Um, So you go all around the vestibule, you can even Q-tip test right on the urethra, see if they're tender on the urethra. So it's basically just a tool to use to help find someone's tenderness. Got it. And so how does that help either the gynecologist, the internist, or the physical therapist when we when we can better locate where the pain is. Mm-hmm. So the term that I we are using is vestibulodynia, which dynia just means pain. So that's just um, pain of the vestibule. So if someone comes in and tells you that they've been diagnosed with vestibulodynia, it's like, okay, great. Well, there's still so many different uh, types. And so we have to help determine what those are. So they can either have... Um, vestibulodynia, that is a true pelvic floor problem. So the pain in their vestibule is coming from usually overactivity of the pelvic floor. And that is where our physical therapy is, is, you know, warranted and should help that type of pain. But there could also be more of a hormone-related issue going on in the vestibule. So doing the Q-tip test can help you determine, is it a muscle overactivity issue? Is it a hormone-related issue? There's also um, an inflammatory, a third a third type of vestibulodynia. That is more of the inflammatory type, um, neuroproliferation. So if they just have like excessive amounts of nerve endings um, in the vestibule, that could be the source of their pain. Those are the women that would be describing pain um, from a very early age, you know, even as early as teenagers, like pain with their very first tampon pain with their very first time having intercourse, those types of things, that's when you would be thinking potentially more of this uh, neuroproliferation pain. That is so helpful. So like summarizing, you kind of, you, Missy, think of sort of this as three categories. It's Mm -hmm. kind of a muscular overactive. Yes. And then there's a hormonal component. Yes. And then there's an inflammatory component. Yeah. Okay. So let me ask you a little bit, um, what, what would kind of cause like the first kind? Like what is something, what, what, what is like an over, how are you, how, how do you overuse your pelvic floor? Oh, I could talk hours about that. Um, well, yeah, I got all the time <laughs> in the world, girl. So I'm finding a lot of women, whether they're postpartum or even into their early perimenopause or menopause age, have over-recruitment of their pelvic floor muscles. Um, we used to call it like hypertonicity, but we're trying to say that it's more just excessive tension in the pelvic floor muscles. And it could, it, you know, it could be from a slew of different things. But we tend to find that if there are weaknesses elsewhere in the body, so for example, a postpartum mom that has weakness in their core, weakness in their hips, um, the pelvic floor makes up for it. It's very smart. Your body is very smart. It makes up for those imbalances. So if you're having um, certain muscles that I like to say aren't doing their jobs or have 
taken a little vacation, so to speak, your pelvic floor is going to be like, well, shoot, I got to hold this person up. I got to keep all these organs inside. So your pelvic floor starts to work overtime and then it becomes quote unquote tight um, or over-recruited, overworked. So that is where that over-recruitment often comes from is an imbalance somewhere in the system. All right. That makes like a lot of sense. This really makes a lot of sense. What is, um, tell me what you mean by this. You have little notes about pain and where they are. So tell me a little bit about that. Okay. So when you're doing the Q-tip testing, if you have pain, um, we call it, we think of it as a clock. So if you have pain at like one o'clock and 11 o'clock, that is pretty much on either side of the urethra. Mm -hmm. Um, There's these two little glands there, the Skeen's glands. Mm -hmm. If those glands are super tender, I'm finding them often that they are, um, that is highly related to hormone-mediated vestibulodynia, so a hormone-related problem. That sometimes cannot be fixed with pelvic floor physical therapy. They could have pain there and it be a pelvic floor problem, but if they have pain there and we've been going through pelvic PT for a few months now and I'm still Q-tip testing and it's still really painful there and that pain doesn't change after our pelvic floor training, like if we're trying to downtrain the system, we're getting that tissue to relax, getting it to um, release, but that Q-tip test is still positive in those spots, that 11 and, 12, 11 and 1 o'clock, then we're we're thinking it's more ho- hormone related and that we're not going to make a difference with um, the pelvic floor work. So what would be like conditions that would cause some of these hormonally mediated types of pain? So we're finding that um, this is a big problem in menopausal women, of course. Sure. Um, Perimenopause too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's like a really nice sort of reminder. I I hear this so much is that, you know, you're too young to have these symptoms or you're not yet menopausal, so there's no way this can be related to menopause. So a little plug for that perimenopausal phase, which can be anywhere from one to 10 years before like Mm -hmm. your last period. Right. So, So very good point that hormonally mediated, I think that one gets missed a lot is that that perimenopause where levels are can be really fluctuating and swing. Mm-hmm. And, a, and a good sign of that might be if you have pain for a good chunk of time, then it kind of goes away and then it kind of comes back and goes away. That that's, could be, yeah. So me- perimenopause, menopause. Yeah. I'm finding it also, also in a lot of just postpartum women, especially the, the mom that is got four babies. She's been pregnant, postpartum, pregnant, postpartum for like the last – 10 years and now she comes to you and she's got four four kids she's been breastfeeding Breastfeeding. on and off for six years and she's been on and off contraceptives um they're they're having a lot of these symptoms and it is very hormone related for them as well yeah you know that breastfeeding period your estrogen is so low your postpartum your estrogen is is dropping quite low but um yeah, absolutely. And mm-hmm. then you mentioned something to me about um, like birth control pills. Yes. This is a little plug from um, an alcove course that I just took with Rachel Rubin. She was fantastic and super knowledgeable. She is a 
urologists um, specializing in sexual medicine out of DC. And she has some good research. Um, she presented some good research out there that oral contraceptives um, may be playing a big role in this vestibulodynia type pain. So um, she suggested, you know, a lot of what she sees um, getting off of those oral contraceptives and potentially trying a different type, you know, IUDs tending to be a little bit safer in that and not um, giving the same effects as the oral contraceptives. I think that's really fascinating. I just kind of learned that tonight as you were kind of teaching me before we got on the podcast. And um, I wonder if it is related to, of course, maybe lowering the testosterone or how it's affecting other people's right. um um, hormones. So, you know, I, I think if you're doing great, you're on birth control pills and it's not bothering you, that's great. But mm-hmm. if you do have this type of pain and you are on birth control pills and no one sort of thought about that of maybe let's take this off and see how you do it, it's yeah. definitely something I've just It's just learned, something to think about, just yeah. something to not ignore if you're um, – so I'm trying to be a little more conscious of that when my patients tell me. Um, and sometimes you don't think to collect that in your history from a physical therapy standpoint. Like I'll ask a patient about their – um, birth control and they're kind of like, you're my physical therapist. Why do you need to know that? Um, or why is that important to you? So I just explain it and piecing this all together. I think it's important that physical therapists ask, um, are you on birth control? But more importantly, what kind are you on? And if, uh, they're a new mom and they're like, oh yeah, I actually just a month ago got put back on my, my oral contraceptives. And this is when my pain started. Like, then we can connect the dots. Like, okay, well, something you maybe hadn't thought about on your own. Um, but when we're asking the right history, then we're, we're connecting those dots. Yeah. So kind of going along and staying on this hormonally mediated type, um, when do you, so if you have, if you're kind of then thinking this is a hormonally related issue, when do you consider and what, what is the treatment? What, what, what kind of options do women have? Yeah. Well, since I'm not a physician, I don't like to recommend the medications, but from what I've learned, I often refer them back to their physician. And what I'm finding though, is that some women don't even know what physician to go to for this. So that is kind of the bigger problem with this whole conversation is women don't know who to see. Do they see their primary care? Do they have to go to a specialist? Do they need to see a urologist? Do they go back to their OBGYN? Like who is taking care of these problems? Who's checking the vestibule? Who's Q-tip testing? Who's doing these types of tests? Um, So it's my job as a knowledgeable pelvic PT to do these tests and help the patient understand what their vestibule is and that if we're not seeing changes with the pelvic floor physical therapy um, techniques that I'm referring them back and this is why and uh, that these are the options and that I'm going to let their physician decide what route to go. But from what I've um, done thus far, you know, just communicating back to their physician, like, hey, I've got positive Q-tip testing here and here. I'm really thinking this is hormone-related vestibulodynia. They are currently on these medications. Have you considered these medications? And just having that open dialogue with their physician and every physician that I've um, been in contact with is totally open to the patient changing up 
what they're on, if what they're currently on is not working, or if they're not on anything at all. So I've had good feedback from gynecologists and urologists. So it's really just finding what medication works for them, but more importantly, how it's being applied. So if it is a vaginal cream or suppository, that they're really being taught how to use it, how to apply it, and that they're applying it in the right area because this is uh, it's an anatomy lesson. So we need to get the, the mirrors mirror out. out. And we kind of joked that we were trying to get in our clinic um, the diabetic foot mirrors yeah. because uh, there's these mirrors that are on this nice long – it's basically like a selfie stick – with uh-huh. a mirror on the end of it. Okay. And then there's a I there's see where even, you're headed. There's even a light. So then the, the patient perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. So you, you know, the patient could just hold it and then they can see what you're doing. And we have to be educating these women more on what they're looking at so they know where to put their cream. Absolutely. Because they're just gonna go get this cream. They're gonna pick it up from the pharmacy. It's gonna be $50 and they're going to be like, this is disgusting and gloppy and gloopy. And I don't want to put this in my vagina. And I don't think this is helping. Um, so they're not being taught how to use it. And then they're not compliant with it. And then their pain doesn't go away. Absolutely. You know, I kind of have a saying that I think everyone postpartum should use some type of vaginal or what we call topical estrogen, Mm -hmm. um, which is a different than systemic type of estrogen, which is, you know, something that goes through your whole body. So something you either take orally or as a patch or spray or gel, a topical or local vaginal estrogen is so, so, so safe. And, and, and really we have the most estrogen receptors in the lower one third of our vaginas. So once we don't make any estrogen anymore, that's typically the place where women will almost inevitably notice some either type of pain or dryness. And this can, of course, vary in terms of, um, you know, if someone's not sexually active, there's no right or wrong answer. But if, if they're not and it doesn't bother them, if they, you know, when they walk and exercise, it won't bother them. Some people aren't sexually active and it does bother them. Some people, of course, you know, there's, it, it, there's pain no matter what they do. And so there is a lot of different types of estrogen uh, components that you can use, a lot of which are FDA approved. So estrace, which is estradiol, premarin, vaginal cream, which is conjugated estrogen. And then we talked a lot about um, something that's a little bit newer called parasterone or interosa. Mm-hmm. And this is a newer FDA approved option that converts intracellularly into estradiol and testosterone. The testosterone kit can sometimes help people a little bit climax or enjoy sex more so maybe it helps their libido so can you touch on um any research or just your own expertise on testosterone because i think some women hear that and they get really freaked out if i mention to them that they may be put on a compound of estrogen testosterone they're like i'm gonna take testosterone what is that gonna do to me so can you give us some tips on what that actually means. Like what is the dose of testosterone? Is it really, you know, and people are a little concerned on estrogen too. Yeah. Yeah. So these are good questions. So Missy's turning it around on me here. Yeah. So. <laughs> but this is great. 
This is, for all of you listening, this is a great reason why, like, you know, it's so great to work together. Right. Because Missy has so much anatomical expertise and physiology expertise. And so it's just, it's so great. I'm praying to find, like, my new physical therapist in in Boston. I'll have to find you one. Yeah. Yes. So, so yeah. So back to the estrogen and the testosterone so, you know, I don't want to go too far off topic because I'm yeah. so excited to have you, but essentially uh, local estrogen, which is just the type of estrogen that you're going to put in the vagina. And as you mentioned, there's different people need it in different places. Right. Some people, if it's a vestibule problem, should be putting it lower on the, actually sort of on the outside or sort of slightly on the inside. And then there are like, for example, Vagifem, which is a, com- it's like a tan, it looks like a tampon you insert it just like that. It's going to go up into the top part of the vagina. So you, uh, automatically, if you're visualizing as I'm talking, those are going to two separate parts. But really, really, the message, the real message is, is, is vaginal estrogen is extraordinary. It, it, it is extraordinarily safe. Almost so I want to say like there's, there's really no major risks. Right. There's really only, only benefits. It doesn't go systemically. It carries no increased risk at all for breast cancer. It's something that a lot of gynec, sorry, a lot of oncologists, cancer doctors are now actually even feeling more comfortable using in breast cancer survivors okay. because the risk of going systemically are so low. Mm-hmm. Now, testosterone that's in the parasterone is also very, very safe because it's just going to convert in the little cells. Like, so it's not going systemically. Right. You're not going to grow a beard. Right. You're not going to like nothing like that. That's what women are They're, afraid of. Exactly. And, and I understand that. It makes perfect sense. So there are systemic estrogens, there are systemic testosterones, but they're totally different topic than this this episode that we're recording. So for this right. purpose, both that type of estrogen and that type of testosterone are really, really safe. And, and arguably, so are the systemics, but that's just another conversation. Right. Um. So, uh. So yeah. So that you know, the little bit about the different types of estrogens and the testosterones. But I think back to your point is where the person is having the pain by being able to better diagnose it mm-hmm. by by thinking about the vestibule as completely different than the vagina right. and treating it better patients know where to put some of these hormones that we're prescribing and, and then you're going to see them and i think again i think a lot of times like you know doing doing hormonal replacement with physical therapy is almost like the best, the best. scenario Totally agree. Because more often than not, there is still a huge disconnect between the brain and the pelvic floor and the woman's ability to release tension there. So it's it's often necessary in any case. Now, I'm kind of also interested, I'd love to pick your brain on if someone has the type 3, the inflammatory type. Um, and they've had persistent pain. That one sounds like a really hard – that one sounds like the hardest one to tackle. It does. And Rachel talked a lot about this one. Um, and sometimes those are the people that need um, vestibulectomies, which she performs. And so she went into that a little bit. So I don't know a ton about that procedure. But um, those are the patients that sometimes cannot be treated any other way than with surgery. Um, the other inflammatory – condition would be someone that's complaining to you a lot about UTIs or yeast and chronic yeast infections, chronic UTIs that cannot get rid of them. Um, and you see their tissue and it is super red and irritated. Um, yeah. So those are the women's that would more than likely benefit from something topically. 
All right. So I want to like go a little bit north and ask you about the bladder. Okay. The bladder is is because in that area, mm-hmm. um, it's you know if you still have an intact uterus, it's it's kind of in that pelvic pain area, and we know there is some bladder types of inflammatory conditions. People may have heard something like you know uh, interstitial cystitis and the or f- frequent urinary tract infection. So. How does the bladder kind of play into a lot of these different type of pains that patients describe to you as a physical therapist? How do you kind of see that either being related or being unrelated? Yeah, the bladder can be tricky. And we often sometimes think the bladder gets blamed for a lot of things. And the diagnosis of IC is complicated. And there's often so many symptoms related to IC. So for us, it's really pinpointing their symptoms and understanding that if they have, you know, symptoms of burning with urination or what they consider bladder pain, like we need to know, like, is it bladder pain or is it just in that area that they feel like could be their bladder? Um, there's so many things that play into that area. The uterus is right there. The bladder's right there. Your GI system is right there. Are they dealing with constipation? Like, is mm-hmm. this more constipation symptoms? Like, there's so many things. And so many pelvic floor muscles can refer pain up there as well. So it just, it gets really complicated. Um, so we just want to make sure that if we think it's bladder related, you know, are they having urgency? Are they having frequency? Those are things that we can help. Those are very psychological type issues. Um, so it's a lot about retraining the brain and the bladder. The bladder really thinks it kind of thinks it has a mind of its own, (laughs) honestly. So we have to really do a lot of bladder retraining, um, if they're having those types of symptoms. And and sometimes that takes a little bit of time, but those are often patients that do really well with pelvic PT. Um, but again, it kind of just goes back full circle on, you know, the whole team. Who who are their physicians? Who are they? What are what treatments are they currently undergoing for all parts of the, the GI, the bladder, you know, and make making sure we're all on the same page with treating that patient. Yeah. So I'm kind of getting this great big picture from you that there's a couple of different things. And that first is that pain, when we're talking about pelvic pain, it's almost like I hate that term because it's so broad. So broad, yeah. And so I'm hearing from you like a really good detailed history of symptoms and then as well as really localizing, like you said, with like the Q-tip testing to to differentiate between bladder, vestibule, vagina, labia, vulvodynia, which is the vulva, which is all of it, you know, is that that really helps women get a better diagnosis. And we've been missing one of the most important parts, which is that like little soft tissue area. little pink tissue. You can see with the mirror. I know it's scary for some people. It is. We don't like to look at it. Yeah, we do. I know. No one likes to look at themselves. Yeah, I know. It just... Yeah, exactly. And so, um, but so I, and we've kind of learned, and I just kind of want to summarize and tell me if you, you know, last kind of thoughts on, so you've really pointed out kind of three different types of um, 
pain that you see sort of related to vestibula, vestibulodynia. I always like, I'm always embarrassed as a physician to like say words incorrectly. I it's, know. it's, and I, and I do it commonly. But so you talked so about I. muscle overactivity, hormonal related issues, and those inflammatory neuroproliferative, you know, pain like their whole lives. Um, and I just think there's a great way to think about it. So like, what do you want to leave? Um, or how do you want to kind of like close on those things that if I missed anything or if you just kind of want to, you know, put in any last minute remarks? I think just encouraging patients and listeners that, um, you know, if they're feeling helpless or they've gone a certain route and it didn't work for them, that um, maybe they're just being misdiagnosed or if they haven't gotten the right medication or the right physical therapist or just that there's so many different um, – things contributing to their pain and not being afraid to really dive into their their symptoms. I think some women just play it off as like, it's no big deal, or this is just normal now, or I'm in menopause and these are just what it's just what I got to live with. I have so many patients tell me that, you know, I just thought like having no sex drive was normal now or having pain with intercourse was normal now. Um, so just knowing that a good physical therapist can help you differentiate this pain and, and hopefully refer you to the right uh, specialist or physician if if we feel like something else is needed. I absolutely agree. I think just even like us talking through this like podcast episode together where we're seeing how like complementary even we are to each other in this topic yeah. is just in and of itself really telling of how that is just like such a wonderful piece. If you're lucky enough to live by someone who is a, a specialist in pelvic floor physical therapy and you win the lottery and you have, you know, someone who is a really good either urogynecologist or menopause specialist or an, I always plug NAMS, which is the North American Menopause Society physician or a really good family medicine or internist who who really does have a good knowledge base, you know, you're, you're going to be in a good place. But if if you don't, um, you know, hopefully we've provided you with just a little bit of knowledge to be a little bit more proactive and, and kind of think a little bit broader. I've had to find all new physicians now that you've oh, left me. Oh, I know. I'm so sorry. I miss Columbus <laughs> But it's so okay. There, there's still some good ones here. There's good ones. I'm finding good ones. Yeah. Um, so we're all good. You just, you go help your people in Boston. <laughs> I know. I know. It's, people will come to you. I, well, you know, it, it is sort of. That's a whole other conversation. It's just like it's it's so hard to be geographically confined in, yes. in who you can help. Like I it's, know. it's it's very frustrating. I'm sure you know we both feel sort of the same. Yeah, when people reach out and I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't. They're like, who can I see in Cleveland? Even like Cleveland. I know. I'm like, I I don't know, but I will find you a person. But I do want to let y'all know, Missy has an amazing ebook. Where can they find it? Well, currently it is uh, mostly linked to my Instagram, which is um, at Twin Mama Pelvic PT. Okay, and I will link you down below. Yeah, and I have a free postpartum core guide. It is um, primarily for postpartum women that are struggling to figure out how to rehab their core. They're kind of lost, not sure where to go from there. Um, so I have a free version, and then I have a more comprehensive version as well. That's really exciting. And we, we talked a lot about how and, – and, and we've talked about this. If, if you guys have not listened to any of my other podcasts with Missy, I will also – um, link them and I will mention them. We did um, women um, and pelvic floor. I think that was our first one. Yeah, we did together. Um, we did a second one on. Oh my gosh! Something. What is the core? 
Yeah, all in the core. Yeah. And then we did just the core. And and the important thing is we said, once you're postpartum, you're always postpartum. So I think your postpartum yes. core guide is really, really good because a lot of pelvic pain can start from core uh, dysfunctions. And then, right. of course, hormonal changes. Like We're women. It's just something we're all going to face. And so I think your postpartum pelvic core guide is awesome. So Thanks. I totally recommend getting it. I will link Missy's Instagram account and they can get it from there. Click yep. the link in the bio. Yep. It's like the thing I say all the time. Link in the bio. Link in the bio. I know. It's the link tree. It's the link tree. And I also have my own menopause course. So if you so want good. a deeper dive in knowledge on women's health, you can go to um, the link in my bio. You can go to my website, heatherhirschmd.com slash course, and you can go to it from there. And I actually have a whole a mini course that is just on sexual function, which will probably touch on some of the pelvic pain issues. Um, but the whole course is also really fantastic. So little plugs, but we definitely want you to check us out. Follow Missy on Instagram because she is wonderful. She We're literally just talking about how much work she does, posting a lot of pictures and showing a lot of different types of, I love how you do like this posture is bad this posture is good and in your head you're like oh crap that's how I stand all the time I know but definitely check out Missy's post, um, Instagram account and she's got tons of information I know you've got like more coming I know you've a lot of stuff Dude, so many ideas so many ideas so we thank you guys all so much for listening in anything else you want to say thank you so much you're welcome and Columbus I love you and I cannot wait to spend the next like I don't know 24 hours here <laughs> quick trip so anyways thank you guys so much for listening in on your ride home or wherever you are. I appreciate your support so much. If you like this podcast, go ahead and leave me a review or a star or anything because it helps more women see this podcast. And I really, really appreciate it. Even I struggle with like flipping my little finger and and, and writing a little comment, but it really, really does help. So thank you guys. Have a wonderful rest of your evening. Thanks so much for listening in. Bye.